This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Jay Severin. Uh, welcome, best and brightest. You may have heard that the first ever penis transplant, <laughs> penis transplant, was performed over the weekend here in Boston. And uh, that means the world's first penis donor was also here in Boston. I'm going to be okay. Excelsior. Welcome back, my dear radio family, or maybe it should be, welcome back, my dear radio family and friends. Now it's me, Jay Severin, it's you, the best and brightest. We are the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 via Twitter at J-A-Y underscore S-E-V-E-R-I-N. I think all of the digits are there. Let me see. Yeah, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. All of my digits are there. Man, one thing we've got in Boston is medicine. The world's first penis transplant. Where else? Mass General here in Boston. A very, as it turns out. A very odd case in addition to the spectacular surgery, the spectacular medicine involved. A very, very odd case uh, in, in which it happens that this surgery occurred at the insistence, get this, of a wife who demanded that the operation be performed as a condition for not divorcing her husband. You with me? The world's first penis transplant occurred because a wife demanded that the operation occur as a condition of her not divorcing her husband. Campaign uh, campaign aides say Hillary Clinton. Is it Henry now? That Henry Clinton will be up. Up and around in a few days, fully equipped for campaigning. Actually, it's a true story. Uh, the the, the uh, transplant part is a true story. The penis transplant, world's first, actually did occur, where else? Uh, here in Boston, where if you spent some time 
you know, it's hard to come away not feeling that there are more dicks here than any place you've ever visited. So, I mean, this would be the place to do it. But, uh, you know, I've been, I've been married for many years. So I'm thinking of doing the right thing and uh, becoming a donor. Uh, speaking of penis transplants, and believe it or not, we are. Evidently, some Republicans want to be on the immediate recipient list. And believe me, I don't deny they need one and have needed one for a long time. Huh? I just don't know what, if anything, they'll do with it once they get it. I think that ought to be a criterion of selection, don't you? I mean, speaking of musical figures... Don't let your meatloaf, meatloaf, Led Zeppelin, others that I can think of. But I say this because rumors abound that uh, so-called Republicans, and these are the ones without wedding tackle, uh, certain uh, Republicans without wedding tackle insist that they want a third-party candidate. And rumors abound that, for instance, conservative (coughs) magazine publisher Bill Kristol, whom I like very much, personally, he's a swell fellow. I mean, I mean it. He's a swell guy. But he's no conservative. And, yes, even former nominee Mitt Romney uh, whom I hold in the highest possible esteem, are seeking what they regard as a sober alternative, you know, a respectable alternative to Donald Trump in the form of a third-party Republican candidate. Even though Rince Pubis admits it would be a suicide mission, and it would. It would, and we've known that here for much longer than we've been talking about it, and we've been talking about it for months. You know what? The people who are uttering anything other than flat denials and saying it would be handing the president— Why have the election? It's handing the presidency— to Hillary. Oh, now, did you hear there's been the world's first successful penis transplant? Okay, because otherwise this, you wouldn't know. This would be handing the presidency to Henry Rodham Clinton. Uh, and it would. And you know what? The people who are talking about a third party are venting their spleens. They're having what the parents or the one-time parents of two- and three-year-olds know well. They're having tantrums. They're having little tantrums. They don't care that it will cost their country and their party and our way of life its lifeblood. What they care about is no one wrecking their own private lawn party. 
That's what they feel they have right now, their own private lawn party. And they don't want the likes of you or me intruding. And for that, they're willing to trade the country. That's all that needs to be said for the moment on penis transplants. Unless, of course, you have a different opinion at one 888 Oh, wait. There's a digit missing. See what I did there? There's a digit missing. No, it's actually one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Ah, though all the parts are there now. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Uh I, you know, one of the headlines from this weekend, and we won't spend a lot of time on this uh, unless you wish to. But do you know one of the big headlines that I'm perhaps remiss in not talking about more and sooner is Hillary, uh, sorry, Henry. It's going to take a while for me to get used to this, as I'm sure it will for her. Henry, uh, Mrs. Henry Clinton is... I think, in some kind of real trouble. I mean, it's to the point that I'm actually rooting for her a little bit. Because I want to run against her. I really, at this point, I want to run against her. All of the numbers show, and I don't know how reliable they are, but all of the numbers, I haven't really done a lot of thinking about this yet, but all of the numbers show that BS... Boiny, toity, toyed, and toyed, Sandus would would beat us, and Hillary would not. So I'm actually there's a little kind of you know instinct, a little bug I get when I hear Hillary could possibly not be the nominee. Now that's almost impossible, but I'm telling you, Boiny is still killing her, and tomorrow is Oregon and Kentucky. And she ought to win in both places, but she's not sure of winning in both places. And I just put this to you. If it gets to be six weeks from now and Mrs. Clinton is losing to the Republican nominee, whomever that is, six weeks from now, and I say that half-jokingly, but six weeks from now, if Mrs. Clinton is losing across the board to any and all Republicans. Is she that sure? Are we that sure that her super delegates, which will be her only lifeline, her only margin of victory, because Democrats who vote are voting for Bernie Sanders. So if she's if she looks like she's getting beaten like a baby seal every day for the next six weeks and we get into late June or July. And she's losing to everybody. Are we sure the superdelegates aren't going to be dialing 1-800-BOINY? This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And you are my partners, and this is our number, 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. I invite your contributions, complaints, observations, other bon mots, as you feel contributory to this, our program. It is the Jaily News on the Blaze Radio Network, an American Tragic comedy in two acts. Act one. Are we really? I mean, really. Is the number one story in American politics right now, this weekend, hence at the beginning of this week, because you know whatever happens on Sunday is intended to and does drive the mainstream media news cycle pretty much for the week, or at least the first half of it. So you get Sunday, Sunday night, Monday, and Tuesday are what happened Sunday or what culminated. People wait. No one announces anything after Thursday noon. They wait, and it breaks on the Sunday morning and now evening shows. Wow, I'm telling you, Harris Faulkner on Fox that show at 7 o'clock on Eastern on Sunday nights on Fox last night was the most exciting political show on television I've ever seen. Doug Schoen was on fire. Doug Schoen and Pat Goodell were saying that Hillary is losing. Hillary is going to lose. Trump is going to beat her in a landslide. They were taking apart Republican consultants by name. They were naming the guy who spent $125 million to successfully steer, to brilliantly steer Jeb Bush up to, what was his high point, 3%? I mean, they were naming these guys. This isn't done. Well, this wasn't done. It's done now. It was done last night. It's the hottest political TV I've ever seen. Uh, I don't mean as a steady diet. I just mean uh, maybe that show, Harris Faulkner is somehow getting these guys to speak truth. And Doug Schoen was on fire last night. He's as close to Hillary and Bill Clinton as anyone has ever been. And there he was last night saying, she's going to lose. They don't know what to do. One of the things Doug Schoen said last night was, they're going to spend untold millions of dollars on standard attack ads against Donald Trump because they don't know what else to do. And those ads, he goes, I know what those ads are. And they're not going to work. And then after they've dropped, you know, 40, 50 million on anti-Trump ads that that, uh, replay 
gaffes he's made or uh, intemperate comments he's made, then what do you do? And here are a couple of the smartest, most experienced political consultants on earth who helped develop the entire business. Second generation, but absolutely instrumental in, in the political business as we now know it and see it. Doug Schoen, Pat Cadell, and there they are last night, just hammering these Republican consultants and saying, Hillary's going to lose. Okay, back to my question. Is the number one story in American politics right now, really, really, whether Donald Trump behaved like a gentleman on dates as a single man? 30 or 40 years ago? I mean, it, this has been the news this weekend. This is the big, this is page one, Sunday New York Times, story number one, Trump apparently sexist and rude on dates. What does that mean? He tried to have sex as quickly as possible on the first date? You want to come cuff me? Shall I give you the address? I do have something of a personal prejudice in this matter. It was a long time ago, and frankly, uh, and fortunately, beyond the statutory uh, of limitations. But are you kidding me? Whether Donald Trump was a healthy, rude Man obsessed with sex as a single man 40 years ago, whether he was, quote-unquote, rude or sexist, whatever that means, on dates as a single man 40 years ago? Is there no statute of limitations on dating? You know what? There isn't, and I can prove it. We'll get to that in a minute. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while in America... The biggest issue is, did a candidate for the United States presidency say to a girl, hey, nice ass, or whatever it is, I have no idea. I'm just guessing here. Did, Did he say what he was, or, you know, I'd really like to take you home and blankety, 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 blank. That is the number one issue in the American presidential campaign from 40 years ago. Meanwhile, in Europe, recent Islamist imports are making life impossible for the residents of these German and Austrian and French villages where life has gone undisturbed in their Austrian or German or French fashion for hundreds, thousand years. And all of a sudden, in the middle of Bavaria, you drop in 800 single men between the ages of 16 and 35 from Syria and and there is 
sexual assault, harassment, harassment. No, there's sexual assault. There's gang rape in public, in public, on the steps of the library, in the park, in the market, everywhere. Local authorities are saying, listen, women should not go out without men. Out of their homes, ever, anytime, anywhere. This is, this is what the authorities are doing to deal with this. Don't go out of your house. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine what that means? Can you imagine when a quaint Bavarian village, 1,400 years old, that all of a sudden Syrians are gang-raping 14-year-old girls in the, in the tiny market square? You know what it's called? The Caliphate. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. With my partners, the best and brightest on the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 Now, today was, is being recorded as the first known, so far successful, uh, penis, <clears throat> yes, penis transplant. Where else? Mass General. Where else? Boston. Man, have we medicine. We, we've got. We've got some stuff here. Education, we've got. Medicine, we've got. Law, we've got. And in this case, medicine. Uh, And religion, I suppose, because we've got a lot of people praying. So today's first successful penis transplant, uh, which I I, I don't – well, I say successful. uh, And again, one – one hopes, but it does lag behind the first story I heard from my uncle, who was a, a judge. Uh, uh, a story about this, which was years ago, and it was a fellow he claims to have known who went to a doctor, a specialist, and he goes in and he says to the doctor, Doctor, you gotta help me. My organ is so so big, it drains blood from my brain. I can't talk right. And the and the doctor, who is a specialist in all this, says, "I believe it or not, your case is rare, but I have run into it before. And what I suggest is that we uh, perform an operation." Uh, and 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 the and the guy reportedly said, "Yeah, but what if?" The doctor says, "Nothing to worry about. I am I am one of the country's little known but absolute pioneers in this field, uh, in both ways, <clears throat> either transplanting or reduction. I've been doing this fa- fairly quietly, but uh, you can look me up, you know, expertly for thirty years, and I know. And and, and yours is yours is exactly the the." 
You're showing the, 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 uh, all the signs, and uh, I know exactly what to do. And what we do is we just make a reduction, and, um, and then that's pretty much it. And, 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 and the patient apparently said, what do you, you do with the and, and doctor said, you don't worry about that. I, we, we, we dispose of or use, you know, anything from any operation in a, an ethically appropriate way. So uh, all you have to, you know, can you come in next Wednesday? And, uh, and he says, yeah, yeah, doctor. And so uh, Wednesday comes. Guy goes in, goes under the knife, so to speak. Uh, They wait the requisite, you know, hospital time. The guy's discharged. He goes home. He comes back in a month as scheduled to see the doctor. He walks in the door and he says, Doc, I'm so glad to see you. I'm a new man. I'm so glad I decided to do what you recommended, I just can't listen to me, Doc. I, I can't tell you how much my life has improved. This is a great thing for me. How do I thank you? And the uh, doctor looked at him and said, oh, It's okay. You don't need to thank me. <laughs> Stop me. Stop me. Really, I'm here all week. Maybe. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I make this joke only because it's medically and newsworthily appropriate. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. The Clinton Foundation. The Clintons left office. What two thousand? Right, two thousand. Uh, since and when they left office. They were not only broke, but deeply in debt to the tune of nearly a million dollars. The the sum is hard to pin down because no one actually, it being the Clintons and it being this sort of thing, no one has ever been able to pin down, oh, by the way, and the mainstream media has never actually wanted, of course, to, to pin down with any precision what the numbers involved are. But uh, they were in debt. I'm told by people who claim to know and are in a position to have known a million dollars or more facing bankruptcy. Uh, Clinton lost his law license because he was the first ever elected president of the United States of America to be impeached. And he lost his law license because he's a felon because he committed felony perjury and felony obstruction of justice, and he was impeached for it. (laughs) And they were facing what might at the time have been considered an uncertain financial future. Uh, So in leaving the White House, they had nothing except a million dollars in debt, as, as rumored. And you may recall... Another thing that was never pinned down was how much they stole. Now, we know they stole. We just don't know how much. What did they steal? They stole this and this ought to, we ought to just take a bump, a beat, a pause here for you to think about this. 
Because if I were telling Martians or a 10-year-old, and I had one chance to say one thing about what I think about the Clintons, of everything I know, and I've been following them daily for 40 years, and I have. I can't believe it's been that long. I can't believe I'm that old, but every day. And if I had to pick one thing to report to you or Martians or a bright, honest 10-year-old about the Clintons, this is probably the story I'd pick. Oh, it's a very, 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 very brief story. The Clintons were filmed and observed, otherwise observed, leaving the White House. And when inventory was done, well, sorry, step one, they were observed stealing rugs, furniture, lamps, tables, chairs, historic stuff, stealing furniture for, oh, silver and china was reportedly among their hall. Like the hillbillies they are, and I say this with deep, deep apology and regret to all honest hillbillies, to the river rat, the river rats they truly are, the Clintons stole the china, or as Voltaire once said, the louder he spoke of his honor, the more quickly I counted the spoons. So the Clintons stole White House antiques, furniture, rugs, silverware from the White House. Your stuff, my stuff, our stuff as Americans, because they're cheap, lying, thieving, criminal river rats. And that's the best I can say about them on the radio. The Clintons did this. They did this. And now I I, I think about Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and I say, wow, how did they rise from those reduced circumstances to where they are now? Well, you know where they are 15 years later? The estimated personal worth of the Clintons is somewhere near half a billion, b-b-b-b-b, billion dollars. Half a billion, 500 million dollars by estimates. Where did that come from? Well, we know where a lot of it came from. A lot of it came from them giving speeches at $750,000 a crack. Uh, Chelsea gets, I think, fifty dollars or $75,000. For that mealy-mouthed brat who knows nothing, she pulls down fifty dollars or $75,000. Hillary, as we know, gets six fifty. $700,000 from Goldman Sachs. Clinton can get a million or more. He got $2 million from the Korean Grocers Association, I understand. Plus a trip to South Korea, which I believe he must have enjoyed. And so 
what how is it possible that a former first family made personally made half a billion dollars in 10 or 12 years mm-hmm. how did they do that what did they do to make that kind of money what what that is sickeningly unethical not just selfish but sickeningly unethical did they do to make that kind of money and why did the people give them that kind of money why did foreign governments give them that kind of money um by the way uh what rush calls the clinton crime foundation their foundation is worth billions and billions of dollars i heard someone today say that the uh saudi princes uh, recently when they gave gave the clinton crime foundation $100 million. Can we just for a second imagine what it is that is right and ethical about the Clintons, about a former president getting this kind of money from you know any foreign source? I'm not even saying anything about the Saudi princes. God bless him. I don't, you know, I, I, well, I shouldn't say that either. But I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm only blaming the person taking the envelope with the cash. Well, my friend Mark Stein said today, and I thought I'd pass this along because I found it even for the Clintons breathtaking. The Clinton Foundation is checked by uh, this major charity group that monitors how much charities take in and how much they actually spend on charity. You know, what percentage of your money goes to the dying kids and what percentage do the people who take it in keep? If you donated $1 million to the Clinton Foundation tomorrow, $1 million, $1 million, you know how much they spend on the dying kids? 60000 Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And partners, one 3393 As you may know, this is a great time to call, not because we have time between now and the hard satellite break coming up in a couple of moments, but it does make you first for the opening of the legendary Act 2 of today's JLE News, which kicks off in a few minutes. Uh... I, I I just wanted to mention again this allegation about the Clinton Foundation. And the allegation is made by a highly credible source uh, on a highly credible network and from a source which is the major charity monitoring uh, concern in the world. I can't remember their name at the moment. But th- these are the these are the guys that go check the charities and tell you what percentage of what you give, you know, out of every dollar that you give, how much of that dollar is kept by that company for so-called expenses, you know, jets, meals, wardrobe, 
God knows what, right? And then how much actually goes to the cause that induced you to give, whether it's maltreated children, maltreated animals, maltreated spouses, uh, self-maltreatment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how much of what you give is given? How much of what you give is kept? And the allegation here is that of every $1 million that is given to the Clinton Foundation, $64,000. I said, I believe I aired, I think I said 60 or something uh, close a minute ago. 60. Uh, but uh, I take it that's not a verification, Skip. That's just a coincidence. Uh, that uh, the $64,000 out of $1 million, okay? So when you give to the Clintons to try and stop malaria in South America or Africa or wherever, you're trying to, they're saying, help us save dying third world kids. And you wipe away the tears which speak awfully well of you they do and you don't have money for something you want this week but you send the Clintons maybe not a million but maybe you send them $25 well I just want you to know that if you sent them a million dollars this week they give $64,000 to the dying kids maybe and they keep $936,000 for Bill Clinton's Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. As you have probably heard, and, you know, we don't want to uh, flog even a good story here, or even an unusual one. But the world's first (coughs) penis transplant occurred during the weekend here in Boston. And I just wanted to make sure you knew. I I think this will be news of interest to almost everyone. Uh... And there is, of course, there's, look, you know, there's always some drawback, right? There's always some drawback to every great medical discovery or procedure. I understand that the donor in an operation, it's first one ever, but apparently, <clears throat> evidently, the donor in a this medical procedure suffers and the donor, of course, must be, uh, how do I you know, state this tastefully? The donor must be naturally endowed such that they can be a donor and still, you know, be intact and functioning themselves. Right? I mean, it makes sense. And so matching, matching up the <clears throat> recipient and the donor is not... not you know, never is, but but not an easy thing here either. But the drawback, I'm told, is that the donor, who is in a position to be a donor, will, as a result of, or could, 
as a result of the a donation, have his speech affected. And with that, I just want to say, don't do more. Welcome back, Brian. <clears throat> Welcome back, Best and Brightest. I'm Jay Severin of the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, I hope still. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. And uh, forgive me if I seem just a little slow. I am, after all, getting over a major sports injury uh 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 at jay underscore s-e-v-e-r-i-n is twitter during the weekend the story that kept trying to bubble up but kept getting knocked down by whether or not donald trump behaved like i'm just going to guess here a lot of young single men on dates 30 or 40 years ago and was, shall we say, uh, socially assertive. No one's suggesting anything untoward in a criminal sense or a physical sense. The only thing that's been suggested is, did Donald Trump say things you know, on his dates 40 years ago as a single man that could be construed as uh, untoward. And I can't believe this is the number one story in American politics, even for five minutes. Although, yeah, I kind of do believe it for a reason that will come up in due course. And for those of us who are acquainted, been together for years, you'll know why I take perhaps a somewhat more personal than usual interest in whether or not someone ought to be judged 30 years later for their dating habits in New York City. If you know what I mean, and I think you might. I think you might. Uh the story that kept trying to bubble up during the weekend, and on which I invite your opinion at one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three, is who Trump ought pick for VP, and whom he will likely pick for VP. These are, as you know, two completely different animals. Who he ought to pick is probably different in your mind, it is in mine, than who he's likely to pick. As this story tried to, you know, it really tried to bubble up, and the media loves it for obvious reasons. I mean, look at look at the, it's a gaudy story, it's a gossipy story, it involves lots of names they love to bandy about, like Sarah Palin, yeah, she's 
evidently on the list. So any list that includes Sarah Palin, you know the mainstream media is dying, dying to talk about. And the only thing that suppressed the upward bubbling of this story was that the only thing they could not resist more was a chance to attack Donald Trump as a pig. And apparently now the number one evidence, the, 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 the prime evidence right now that Donald Trump ought not be a candidate for president. You, you cannot vote for Donald Trump. He cannot be president is because he said rude things of a possibly sexual nature on dates among consenting adults 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. This is while Syrians are gang-raping German and French and Finnish and Swedish and Italian uh, women, and I'm sorry that I'm leaving out any uh, European locations, not out of favoritism, believe me. Uh, And the caliphate is forming while young Syrian men rape, make it impossible for young women to carry the laundry out or go shopping at noon on a sunny day in a 1,400-year-old Bavarian village. This is happening now. No, but what's more important is, did Donald Trump 40 years ago dating in New York say, hey, nice knockers? Because that is far more important to our lives than whether or not the caliphate is on its way here. So it's okay. Even though the Trump VP story has yet to truly bubble up, we know enough that we don't need the bubble. The Trump VP picks include, or the the list of VP picks not denied by the Trump camp, which, of course, means nothing, whether or not denied. But it does mean that these names have been uh, run by Donald Trump. Normally, I'd say the Trump campaign, but the Trump campaign is Donald Trump. So these names have all been run by Donald Trump, and he didn't put the kill switch on any of them. That means the names I'm about to read to you are names Donald Trump wants circulating out there to us as his prospective vice presidential running mates, exactly because he wants us to think well of him because he thinks well of someone we like. It's kind of a twofer. Okay. You may not like Trump. But maybe you like someone he's thinking of for vice president. I mean, that's the whole idea, isn't it? So what he's doing, in my view, is casting his net wide. And he is putting on the plate right out there in the display case 
as women displaying decolletage on a date 40 years ago might be putting right out there in the display case something you might want to consider. And so all of those names snare our interest as they might the interest of a young man in what Tom Wolf would call the season of the rising sap. And those names follow, I'm afraid, no decolletage, but the decolletage, as it were, of names in a moment. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. Show. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network, one 888 So almost, almost reaching uh, the water level uh, uh, this weekend through the miasma of this crep about whether Donald Trump behaved as a gentleman on dates 40 years ago was his prospective choice of vice presidential running mate. Here are the names as I know them. Not in order, by the way. There, There is no uh, order here of any kind. Do, do not, please do not ascribe any uh, pecking order to order here. Uh, John Kasich. Marco Rubio. Dr. Carson. Cruz, Newton Gingrich, and Sarah Palin. Now, uh, one, well, no, a number of footnotes. Uh, first of all, I hope yours at one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I have a question of this list. Tell me which you think Trump would be. And again, you may not be for Trump. You may not want him to win. That doesn't matter. <clears throat> You're a political doctor. You are a civics doctor. A doctor of civics circus maximus. And you're in your professional opinion. I want you to look at the x-rays. And I want you to tell me, irrespective of whom you want, who do you think, and I mean want at the top of the ticket or... Otherwise, I want you to listen to this list and tell me who do you think Trump would be wisest to choose or forget everything I just said and tell me whom you wish he would choose, who you would choose, who you'd like to see him choose or both or neither. But just call me for lunch. one 3393 Here's the list again. John Kasich. Little Marco Rubio. Dr. Carson. Lion Ted Cruz. My guy. Newton Gingrich. And 
Sarah Palin. Who hit that button? Uh, though That's the list as it exists at the moment. And believe me when I tell you that list is going to uh, expand. There, there, there is never any reason, and this is one of the oldest practices in the book. You'll know this. There is never any reason not to put someone's name on the VP list. Am I right? Am I right? There is never a reason not to put someone's name on the VP list. All you, I mean, okay, I mean, there is, if you hack off more people, than you in chat. But usually, no one's going to be that much hacked off at you because the press said, oh, you know, he's considering maybe Alan West uh, of Florida for vice president. Now, almost nobody, unless you like Alan West, is really going to know really or care. And what you're going to do is get a bunch of people who say, hey, did you hear he's considering Alan West? That is, it's great. You know, I'm excited. I'm enthused. That's great. And later he doesn't get picked and you don't like hate the guy for it. But he got credit for considering your guy. It very rarely costs you anything to name someone to the VP list. This This is one of the few freebies in presidential politics. You get to name anybody you want and as many of them as you want. And again, it'd be terribly rare if it cost you anything. So right now that list looks like Kasich, Rubio, Carson, Cruz, Gingrich, and Palin. And so, you know, got any ideas there? Uh, do, Do any of these strike you as a good idea for those who want Trump to win, any of those who strike you as a bad idea for those who think Trump should win, Uh, someone that may strike you as a better idea for those who want Trump to win, or your choice if you want Trump to lose. (laughs) Uh, One footnote here is that Newt, may be talking himself out of consideration because he has been the most aggressive at doing two things that are a virtually unheard of and B strikes me not helpful with Donald Trump as the principal. Okay. Uh, Number one would be Newton is all over television talking about himself as VP and saying, I'd probably take it. But, number two, Newton is all over TV talking about, yeah, you know, I'm probably being considered and I'd probably take it. But he'd have to convince me. Donald Trump would have to tell me what the job is and convince me to take it. Now, he he did not speak those words, but he essentially did. And so the impression that a lot of the Trump people are going to have, and believe me, believe me, oh, believe me, a lifetime of experience, these people around the candidate 
are already jockeying for position. They have already bought and 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 improved homes they're going to buy. They already have the pool put in at the new home they're going to buy. They already have brochures from the Lexus dealers in the top drawer of their desks. They are all positioning themselves for major major, major positions with the Trump administration uh, or otherwise as a pilot fish connected to Donald Trump. And the thing they care about most, and they only care about two things, the thing they care about most is Donald Trump, their host, their host, winning. And then once the host body wins, they're interested in only one other thing, invading the host body. They want to be as indispensable as is practicably possible to Donald Trump. And so right now, their idea of who ought to be vice president has a lot to do with right now. You know, you may be a, a Trump guy and you listen to Newt Gingrich and you say, wow. Newt sounds like he'd be pretty outspoken. You know, I might have that might cost me extra work. That might take away from my power. You know, what I want is someone on their hands and knees who is like so grateful to be vice president here. I don't want to hear any noise from them ever except gratitude. Well, that's probably not Newt. That's why Newt may be talking himself out of a job. Jay Seven. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. Only with my partners on the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 So, Trump, VP. I think his best choice uh, by far is Newt Gingrich. Now, that could be blinded somewhat by my bias toward Newt. I think a lot of Newt. Uh, I think Newt would bring a great deal to the ticket and a great deal to the administration. For a lot of people who wonder whether Trump can at all successfully deal with the Congress, you know, with the government, Newt would be the answer. This is a position that if I were advising Newt, I've met Newt many times, and each time it's been regarded by me as an honor. I think he's a great man. And beyond that, what could he do for Trump? What he could do for Trump is enable him to function as president of the United States. See, the people who would have to deal with Newt wouldn't pick Newt. They don't like Newt either. Newt, relatively speaking, relatively speaking, to the era involved, Newt Gingrich was the Donald Trump 
of 20 years ago. The original Donald Trump was Newt Gingrich. Newt has never apologized. Newt's only gotten smarter and more thoughtful. But Newt, as former Speaker of the House, does carry with him an automatic respect and weight of that office. And everybody who thinks they're smarter than Newt is already politically dead and buried. Newt's smarter than everybody. And he knows he knows how to deal with members of the House and the Senate, but he doesn't know how to kiss their ass. Ass is. Okay? So Newt is the legislative level equivalent of Donald Trump. All the people complaining about Trump would look at Newt and say, oh, no, oh, no. But see, it would never be a factor that would cost the election one way or the other on the legislative side. No one gives a shite what, you know, Mitch McConnell or, you know, no one cares what anything. No one cares what they think. So that's not going to be a factor in the election. The only factor in the election vis-a-vis a vice president is what do you think? What do you think of him or her? And in a way, Newt's toughest sell would be to you because he's not young. He's not particularly sexy. He's... um, What he is, is a statesman. What Newt Gingrich is, is a statesman. And he's a conservative. He's not even as conservative as I would like, but he's a conservative. In his bones, in his DNA, Newt Gingrich is a conservative. He's also a brilliant man. He's a brilliant politician, and he's a brilliant man. And... Even though the people complaining that Trump could never deal with the Congress, if they thought Newt Gingrich was the guy who would deal with the Congress, there would be Donald Trump, and then everybody in Congress would deal with Newt. See, they wouldn't pick him, but secretly, they would be relieved. Because if they think that Donald Trump has a chance, I'm sharing with you now a theory, but I think it's a secret. And it's one of those things that every 10 years or so occurs to me. And I'm waiting to be wrong. I know that sounds immodest. Tough titty. Here it is. Newt Gingrich wouldn't nearly solve the election puzzle for Donald Trump as nearly as well as he would solve the actual being president puzzle for Donald Trump. Usually vice presidents are useful only in that they help you get elected, in theory. There, you pick a vice presidential running mate for one or more of three reasons. You try to get as many of the three as possible. Ideology. Someone who's 
conservative or liberal like you. Geography, somebody who brings a geographic element to the ticket, the mountain states, the south, the northeast, something, the rust belt, something that you don't have that you need for the electoral college to make 272. So the first is ideological, the second is geographical, the third is demographic. That is who the nominee is, right? That means it's a man or a woman or a southerner or a young person or an old person or the demography of that person. They're Italian, they're Hispanic, they're black, they're white. They're yellow, they're polka dot, they're green, they're uh, demography. The three reasons you pick a running mate are geography, ideology, demography. And you hope that you can hit on very strongly on one of those three, uh, ideally on two, and just fantastically on all three ideology geography demography and what's fascinating about the newt pick is that newt doesn't give you that much in the election i think the only thing that newt gives you is it reassures conservatives who ought to be voting for you anyway I don't see Newt in the election attracting. Who's he going to attract? Young voters? Uh Uh-uh. Women? No. Blacks? No. Hispanics? No. Who is Newt attracting that you don't have? What Newt is doing is sending a signal as a running mate that you're going to be fundamentally conservative. This could end up being a very, very crucial Trojan horse message to have to send for Donald Trump. I don't speak in his behalf. I don't, I'm not endorsing him. I'm not, this is totally analytical stuff, okay? I, I just think that Newt Gingrich on the ticket with Trump would help balance the fears or mitigate the fears of conservatives that Donald Trump would be not a conservative but more conservative than not may I repeat more conservative than not that's what I think he is at best with or without a running mate and with Newton as a running mate he would be seen as being more conservative than not that has its downside as well as its upside. But here's one of the things it has where you're taking a gamble. What percentage of your running mate do you want to pay off right now? Right now in the election. And the smart answer is 99%. Don't tell me how useful this guy can be to me once I'm elected. Screw that. I'll worry about that once I'm elected. Give me someone who gets me elected, is what you say. And you know what? Whoever says that is right. But 
under certain circumstances, if you can afford it, if you can afford it, you look ahead and you say, okay, here's a guy who may comfort people who are a little nervous right now about me. He'll ground me with them. And he may hold votes that may stay home. He's probably not going to attract votes, not going to steal votes away from the other side, but he's going to solidify votes that I need. He's going to hold votes that I need and ought to get. But when I get, or, and when I get elected, he's going to be the guy that's going to get me a second term. And what I mean by a second term is, okay, maybe I don't want a second term. Maybe all I want is a successful first term. But Newt Gingrich is a guy who can get me a successful first term. Because if I spend the first year or two fighting in a pissing match with all of the Congress, I'm not going to get anything, anything, done or undone. But if I have Newt in there as my guy who essentially becomes the president of the Congress in my behalf, then he gets me stuff undone, he gets me stuff done, because the Congress will deal with him. And that gets me either a second term or at least a place in history as not a loser, but a winner. This is Jay Febrin on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network, uh, Rock uh, Rocky uh, tweeted a few moments ago that that, and he probably knows something that that we don't. And here it is: uh, Rocky is suggesting that Uma, you know, oops, goes my headpiece. Uh, Uma, right? Uh, Rocky suggesting that Uma no longer needs uh, old Wiener. Anthony Weiner, Congressman Weiner, and so if you don't need your old Weiner, and maybe Hillary was, you know, I don't know. Uh, did anyone see Hillary over at Mass General this afternoon? You know, anything is possible. All right. One, triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. The Trump vice presidential story will break. Whenever he wants it to. Whenever he wants it to. Point of personal privilege. It begins with saying that the next several months. I mean, do you like this? Have you had fun today, kids? The next several months, and I mean every single news cycle, of which there are three per day now in American media. You have fun today, kids? Every single news cycle of every day of the next several months, for those of us who are entertained, 
and recognize that we have an investment in the Civic Circus Maximus. This is going to be by far the most breathtaking roller coaster any American patriot has ever been on. Trust me! In addition to which is this prospect. If, if Trump should win, then the nature and magnitude of the controversy and excitement that accompanies each news cycle now during these primaries, if you think we've been on an e-ticket ride so far, if Trump should win, if, if, if Trump should win, it will be an unprecedented, groundbreaking, breathtaking, hourly roller coaster for America and the rest of the world and our place in it for the next what? One, two, three. See, you see, why am I asking? Why not four years? Why not eight? Here's why. As recently suggested uh, on my uh, Twitter account, at J-A-Y underscore S-E-V-E-R-I-N, as suggested on my Twitter account yesterday, impeachment? Yeah. I wish to revisit and verify my Twitter comment of yesterday. And, and it's actually, it's not new. I made this uh, two, three months ago. I'll make it again. I did make it again. I'm making it again. If Donald Trump is elected president of the United States, I believe the chances are great that there will be serious impeachment proceedings brought by year two. That is, by and before the first midterm elections. That That's why, go back to the Gingrich prediction earlier. If he doesn't have a new Gingrich in there to deal with Congress for him, if Trump is Trump, I think he'll be impeached. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> 